0: You're listening to the Deepening Your Practice podcast with George Haas. Deepening Your Practice is recorded at the Against This Dream Buddhist Meditation Society in Los Angeles, California. For more information, visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.mettagroup.org.
1: So welcome everybody, this is Deepening Your Practice. Deepening Your Practice is intended as an intermediate or advanced class, and what that really means is I'm not going to offer basic meditation instruction. I expect you already to know that. That being said, uh, if you find that I'm talking about something and you don't understand what I'm talking about, I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm just not going to offer basic instruction. We've been talking about the Manual of Insight, the new translation of the Mahasi Sayadaw text that's been offered by the Vipassana Metta Foundation. And we've been talking about the uh, Purification of Mind uh, chapter. In some sense, Purification of Mind is talking about uh, the development of concentration prior to the development of insight practice or the development of insight practice prior to the development of concentration practice and which one of those approaches makes more sense as a way of diving into insight practice. Um, and I think in some sense it's, it's cultural In some sense, uh, it's a way of thinking about how to organize your practice. Let me read a little bit from the book. Method for uh, Taking the Vehicle of Tranquility to Enlightenment This is how to develop the Noble Path. Mm -hmm. One develops tranquility prior to insight and then practices insight based on tranquility. How one develops access or absorption concentration. Uh, This is tranquility. One practices insight by observing the concentration itself and its mental uh, constituents in terms of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and not-self, this is insight. Thus, tranquility precedes insight. Therefore, one who practices tranquility before insight is called one who takes the vehicle of tranquility to enlightenment. One who takes the vehicle of tranquility to enlightenment realizes the noble path in this way. the method of those who take the vehicle of insight to enlightenment. Here, in this noble order, one who practices the method of insight prior to tranquility does not develop the two kinds of concentration, namely access and absorption, as one does using the method of tranquility preceding insight. One sees phenomena in terms of impermanence and so on without developing two kinds of concentration, This is insight. When one's insight meditation practice grows strong enough, concentration of the objects of insight produces concentration. This is tranquility. Thus, insight comes first and tranquility comes later. By developing tranquility based on insight, one brings about the noble path. So there's a lot of terms in that. Um, Concentration, Access Concentration, Absorption, Momentary Concentration, The Path, Fruition. Maybe I can explain some of that. Access Concentration is a term that refers to being able to place your attention on an object of meditation and not having it pulled away by a thought or some other sensing experience arising. Uh, Absorption is a description of a concentration that would take you into jhana. Jhana is the material jhanas and the immaterial jhanas. So, four or five material jhanas, four immaterial jhanas. Jhanas are uh, highly uh, concentrated states or absorption states, the first of which is characterized by five qualities, Um, In Pali, uh, Vitaka, which means that you place your attention. Uh, Vikara means you sustain your attention. Piti is a word that is often translated as rapture, which means you're enveloped in energy. Uh, Sukha is a word that's often translated as bliss which means in reaction, to being in, to, in reaction to being enveloped in energy you become quite blissful and ekagata means you become one-pointed. The second jhana stabilizes. The first jhana is unstable, so you bounce in and out of it. The second jhana stabilizes so you no longer need to place or sustain your enter, uh, energy, so it's a, it's a kind of... Blissful rapture and one-pointedness uh, sustaining that for a while the, the energy of the rapture becomes too coarse and so that's abandoned and it's simply a blissful one-pointedness and uh, after a while even the bliss becomes too much and that's abandoned and you come into a place of uh, an equanimous one-pointedness that would be The tranquility that they're describing and then you would move from that place of tranquility into an investigation of the three characteristics Uh, the three characteristics being the nature of self versus not self or no self this is an investigation that in uh, a pure sensing experience without attachment uh, attachment in a A technical meditation term means attaching to or fixating the sensing experience creates the perception of a solidness of things or a solidness of a sense of self. That if you are aware of the sensing experience at the moment of arising and you don't attach to it, uh, you see that there is no solid, continuous, ongoing experience of Self. And then you can attach or not attach as you wish. But you don't believe in the constancy, the continuation of Self. Uh, Impermanence is the experience that everything arises and passes, that nothing lasts. I think this is an easy, uh, or one of the easier ways to go at some level, everyone here knows that nothing lasts. Uh, Can you, um, for instance, anyone care to volunteer uh, a experience of something that has lasted? Anyone?
2: (coughs) Suffering.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Suffering.
1: Even that, continuously, has not, I would guess. Uh, dukkha, dukkha. Uh, uh, Mahasi often translates dukkha as pain in this volume, or the translators often translate Mahasi as um, translating dukkha as pain, or I tend to think of it as unsatisfactoriness. It's often translated as suffering or maybe you could also uh, translate it as uh, aversion not wanting and we we typically talk about it in on three levels uh, old age sickness and death maybe somebody here is under 28 and would care to argue about aging <laughs> but soon enough you'll go Um, Everybody else already
2: does.
1: (laughs) Old age, sickness and death. Anybody here escaped the common cold? Maybe not. Anybody here escaped death so far? The knowledge of death? We're all still alive but... um, So the first level of uh, unsatisfactoriness is that we're in the human form And we're subject to these things, old age, sickness, and death. There doesn't seem to be a way out of that. The second level is that we'll get what we want and then we'll lose it. Or we won't get what we want or we'll have to put up with things that we don't want. And the third level is this subtle, ongoing irritation that nothing is exactly the way that we would have it if we were actually in charge of anything There's a, it's kind of a two-fold thing uh, we don't really have anything the way we want it and then we realize that we're not actually in charge of anything so these two aspects are together one is the aspect of being able to concentrate well enough then to be able to see that these are the conditions in which we live this is the this, this piece of Uh, concentration and insight and so this first early piece of entering into the practice of meditation is uh, having the concentration in order to be able to explore these characteristics and then the question is how do you get into it enough to know which way to go into the practice and in some sense, it's cultural, I think. Um, when I started my practice, we just pretty much jumped into insight. Is that the experience that most people have had? Do you know? Did you even know when you started meditating what, what you were doing? You, you came to a meditation center like this, and they said, We're all going to begin meditating now and then you got some instruction and then you started meditating did you know what it was that the instruction was and what you were doing so do you know now (laughs) (laughs) do you care to organize your meditation say you come to a drop in class and you are given instructions and you follow it do you know what they're telling you and and what the outcome may be or is supposed to be from it Let me ask you this. Do you think you're making progress in your meditation? How often are you meditating? Do you understand um, what it is that you think you're doing? Or do you have a sense of what you would like to get from meditation? Do you know what you might be able to get from meditation? Um, How organized are you in this? Why did you come? Maybe that's a way of looking at it. Dharma babes.
2: <laughs>
1: so, I came because I was unhappy and I wanted to be happy. That, that's why I came. Um, in a way. Um, so, you can consider these things and you can consider a way of organizing practice I um, the first Vipassana teacher that I had was uh, trained by Teknat Han. He was in the in, in that lineage. Um, Teknat Han was a Zen teacher who taught Vipassana, and uh, it was very oriented around uh, metta practice. And the main uh, um, teaching was around uh, walking meditation and, and repeating gattas. Gattas are sort of meditation phrases and then there was a lot of sitting practice but it was a kind of open awareness practice you just sat Um, not much noting practice Uh, really you just sat and and, uh, followed the breath and tried to keep your attention on the breath not much instruction about what to do it was a kind of rigid around holding the posture still um, I had a, a bad back still have it and uh, it was for me largely a, a meditation on pain I was uh, the instruction was um, not to sit in a chair and not to use any back support and after the third day of the retreat I, I uh, told them that I had to go home because it was too painful to sit and then they said that I could lean against the wall but it but it was discouraged so i finished the retreat and and uh, pretty much that was the end of my retreat practice i just couldn't imagine uh, enduring that much pain again um and I found out later that actually that was quite unskillful in terms of of how to to run a retreat for somebody who has a bad back Um, and I have actually um, spent a long time trying to figure out how to sit on a cushion with a bad back and uh, have since totally abandoned it and now sit only in a chair and that seems to work well so... I think also it's useful to deal with the body that you have in a way that's productive for, the, for how you need to sit in order to have a productive practice. If you go on a lot of retreats, you will develop enough concentration doing an insight practice that you won't have to do a, a, a separate concentration practice how many people here go on retreat? So a pretty good number. And how many retreats a year do you go on to? One, two, three. So the question is, on the number of retreats that you go on, do you have the sense that you've developed enough concentration that you can... um, do the insight practices that you do productively and is that amount of concentration that you develop on retreat something that then carries over for your householder's practice when you come back does it endure the distance between the retreats that you go on this is a question you'll need to answer for yourself for those of you who don't go on retreat um What is your capacity for concentration in meditation? Do you have enough of it? When I started teaching here eight years or so ago, I started offering what I considered simple, basic insight techniques. And what I noticed was that most people couldn't do them because they didn't have a basic enough level of concentration to be able to do them. And so I started to teach uh, concentration as a separate practice. So I have been teaching tranquility leading into insight practice, which I, I thought of as with some irony that I would be the one teaching that because I've been going on four retreats a year for, you know, almost 20 years and it's not a practice that I really need for myself and I hardly recommend lots and lots of retreats and um, and to find it a very productive way to practice but if you don't do that then you have to examine your own uh, concentration um, Shinzen, uh, my primary teacher for, for the last 18 years or so doesn't teach concentration. Doesn't teach jhana. Has never really uh, been uh, much involved in that um, because of the the, the nature of uh, his teaching. He doesn't need to. Um, but you might find uh, if you're not engaged in a lot of retreat practice that this is a way to go. So, am, am I explaining this well enough? Are you understanding the distinction? One is to. Uh, understand that you can go either way you can develop concentration in the beginning and then having developed access concentration or jhana go from there into your insight practice Um, but you don't need to do that you could jump immediately into insight practice and in doing the insight practice develop sufficient concentration to be able to find insight but the dilemma is are you practicing enough as householders without retreat practice to develop sufficient concentration to actually find insight in the practice and this is a question that you would need to either uh, be able to answer for yourself or to in dialogue with a teacher be able to discover uh, whether you're doing that or not I would worry uh, as a meditation teacher that if the practice that you're doing as a householder without retreat practice, if it were sporadic, not every day, if it were short in duration, say, uh, you know, less than an hour, that you weren't actually going to be able to develop sufficient concentration to be able to really get into uh, insight practice enough to see into no-self, to see into impermanence, to see into the nature of uh, unsatisfactoriness. And what is then the consequence of that? The consequences of that is that the relief from suffering will not come. And you'll begin to develop a frustration with your practice, you'll begin to develop a belief that the practice will not serve you in a way that it might. And you may abandon the practice in favor of something else that would not work as well as the practice if you were working at the practice in a way that was actually useful. Is that making sense? Do you believe me? why don't you go on retreats if you're not going on re- retreats is another question that I think is useful I'm, and it's not rhetorical I'd actually like to know
2: mm-hmm. First, what do you mean by um, one-pointedness? what does that look like?
1: a one-pointedness is that, that you become it's almost as if you become <clears throat> the object of meditation it's a, almost like emerging into the object itself so, say you were focusing on the breath of the tip of the nose. It's almost as if you are the tip of the nose. Uh, is there someone here who's thought of going on retreat but does not go and and knows the reason? Uh huh. Fair enough.
2: (laughs) Economics.
1: Money, yep, that's a good one.
0: Yeah, I would always go more if there were time and money. Right. It's hard to get those two together.
1: Indeed.
2: Uh huh.
1: Well, the insight into not-self, the insight into impermanence, the insight into the nature of unsatisfactoriness, does that mean anything? I would agree. Do you find it frustrating? develop the concentration now it's time to launch yourself into insight. But I guess the, the question is then how do you do that? Well, if you're on the tranquility path, you develop access, concentration, and then absorption, and then go into insight. One way to do it is to uh, turn your attention on to the tranquility, turn your attention on to the uh, concentration, and note, say, the impermanent nature of the concentration or you could turn your attention and investigate the the nature of self in the concentration or you could note, uh, for instance the, the nature of the unsatisfactoriness of the concentration that would be one way to do it so you investigate the concentration itself for one of the aspects of the marks of existence I might start with the impermanent nature of it Does the the quality of the 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 blissful what happens to the quality of the blissfulness in the concentration? Doesn't last. Right. (laughs) There you have it. Insight. So um, we can do some meditation. I wanted to give you a choice. Do you want to do some um, metta oriented around developing concentration or would you like to do some breath counting practice to develop concentration? Either one is uh, a way of concentrating the mind and then moving into uh, a Vipassana exploration. All those in favor of metta. All those in favor of breath counting. It's a rather apathetic group, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Wake up! No, no, no. I'm good with neither. Neither? I'm good with either. Oh.
0: Either.
1: Either one sounds great. Okay. Either is good. I second that. So, um, metta one on that. So we'll do that. <clears throat> And then we're going to do some um, see her feel Anyone find the self?
2: (laughs) Can (laughs) you help us a little bit with that one? Self is
1: distinguished from the entity that saw, heard, or felt. It's hard for me to distinguish what you meant. Well, it's a. You're not supposed to be able to find it. So there's definitely a right answer in that investigation. Is that similar to Shenzhen's technique of turn back? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, that's a kind of a Zen thing. Really, the answer is when you get caught up into thinking and you're no longer meditating, you find the self. But when you're actually meditating, you don't find it because you're actually pulling apart the, the uh, sensing experience so it doesn't coalesce. It doesn't, you don't attach into the thinking to form the experience of self. That would be one way to describe it. When you get caught up into thinking, then there you are in the self, and when you're meditating and you're just noticing the individual strands, there's no experience of self. That would be one way to look at it. Then you're thinking, shit, I wasn't meditating the whole time. (laughs) so when you perceive something it's really out of conditioning whether something's right or wrong it's the self is in the mind Um. so so I could look at something and think it's wrong and somebody else next to me can look at it and think it's right Correct. and that's solely based on their mental formation of Well, experience you have the sensing experience and then you have the quality of the sensing experience and then you have the mind state uh, of it and then all of the conditioning that attaches to that um, what does it mean uh, and that's largely how, how you are conditioned around it um, who likes strawberries <laughs> but you see that not every hand went up. So there's nothing about the quality of strawberry that's intrinsically the same for everyone, right? I tend to like raspberries better than strawberries, but I like blueberries, if they're sweet, better than raspberries. Has anybody had dragon fruit? Mm I, I I had dragon fruit for the first time uh, last year, and I like dragon fruit better than every other fruit I've ever had.
0: <laughs>
1: and I'm sure that I'll get to the point where I I like something else better, it's just new, you know, how new also has that... I, I'm, I like novelty, I think, maybe the best out of all things. Um,
2: for relationships.
1: have <laughs> <laughs> the same problem. <laughs> What's your name? Huh? What's your name? George. George. Um. Mm-hmm. When we don't feel, does that include emotion or is that just purely physical both emotion is in feel feel is out the interaction with the world is out did you find the metta was concentrating enough and then you could go into the vipassana so it's, this, it's some people are going some people are going
0: I think it's a good combination.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But I need a lot
2: of concentration. Like, had to return to it during... Mm. There was a few times when um, I just wanted to stop the noting practice, but uh, I wasn't thinking, I just was very concentrated and still and um, just wanted to stay in visual thinking space. And do what? Just look at it. <laughs> not noting it. Not yeah. note it? I mean, I, I find that um, I've been trying to do noting gone, but the only, uh, I feel like sensory experience in feel space and hear space come and go very quickly but in C space, they tend to stay a little while longer. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of pull my attention and it just feels good to stay there.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. So you could narrow it if you wanted.
2: And just do C in.
0: When you do the the rhythmic notation in between, do you just bring attention back to the breath or do you just remain open and... um,
1: Um, I'm soaking into whatever it is that I'm focused on I, I never come back to the breath
2: so it's sort of a, a
0: constant series of sensations and then it's just the notation that's rhythmic?
1: yeah okay. just drawn to whatever it is that's interesting uh-huh
0: during the sea here feel seemed to induce this kind of hypervigilance that mm-hmm. was at times, overwhelming. What about it? Sometimes it felt like s- certain sensory experiences were extremely jarring, and um, I guess compared to the mental practice, which was like deeply peaceful for me, maybe because I was staying there whole a I mean, I don't know, it was just, it was... Uh, Can you like, give me an
1: example of what was jarring?
0: Like, all of a sudden I would start to feel something in my body and it would like, I don't know, it felt like I was on the edge of a cliff or something. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Um, I don't, so that's okay. why I'm asking questions. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> or a sound Would you? Could you say, was it a brightness
0: I guess that's the word that could describe it, magnified. Yeah, everything felt extremely magnified at times. like.
1: And, So was that unpleasant? No, not okay.
0: entirely.
1: I'm, I'm not sure it's a bad thing then. Jarring is a word that to me has a negative connotation to it. Brightness is a word that doesn't. That's why I'm mis- inquiring about that. Uh, th- there, uh, intensifying also is a word that uh, w- would be okay for me. When you, when you bring sensory clarity to things, it does tend to intensify, it does tend to magnify, it does tend to make it brighter, but those are all useful. Um, jarring has a tendency uh, to be maybe not so appealing, but, but that would be a kind of not wanting quality to it. Um, and then we would be in the in the category of Vedna, do we not want, uh, is the quality of the sensing something we don't want? Um, and so then, is it that the, the experience of the sound is jarring, is the experience of the sensation in the body jarring in the sense that it's unpleasant to experience? That would be a different kind of quality that we would be looking at. Do you follow me on this? What, what's the aspect of it? But actually a greater resolution, greater capacity for sensory clarity is not a negative. Not undesirable. Not a problem. Are you alright? Mm-hmm. That would be a good outcome. <laughs>
2: Um, the labeling, saying the word, or yeah, the labeling of the notation, your the feel. Eventually, just because of my own concentration, I gave that up. But I noticed it, that I still... Could note. I was noticing. And now I'm better. Okay. I gave up the labeling. Okay. I just started noticing.
1: The noting without the labeling is totally fine. It, it's often the, the 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 labeling is meant to sort of boost the concentration, but if your concentration is good enough, uh, it's totally fine to abandon the labeling. Uh huh. guess that that would be an okay way to do it um, the experience of self maybe if you note it all see here, feel often comes together and you have the experience of self but in each individual piece there isn't the experience of self might be another way to look at it I mostly notice for myself the experience of self uh, when they're all together or when I'm I lose track of the meditation and I'm in thinking that would be, but it, it, it the, the self is the activity of owning. I'm doing this. I created this. I make this. I orchestrated this. That sensing experience, but in just purely the sensation of the body, just purely in the visual activity, just pure, purely in hearing it, it isn't there, and that's the insight. When you get into deeply no-self experiences, it's simply, purely sensing, there's no fixation. So from a technical point of view, without attachment, without fixating, without solidifying the sensing experience into something, there's no experience of self. So what we're also monitoring is the degree to which you've made the sensing experience into something. So if you're recognizing the sensing experience as the experience of something, you've made it into something, into a self-experience. So for instance, if you're hearing my words, you've made a self to hear the words. If you're hearing the meaning of the words, I mean. If you're hearing the vibration of my voice, and you have not made them into words to hear, then you're in a no-self experience.
2: I was trying to do that earlier, and I couldn't, but I did have this bizarre kind of feeling that I knew what you were saying, like, what I was hearing you say was the voice in my head, uh-huh. I don't know if I was just making it up, but I felt like I was able to say along with my voice what you were saying, as you were saying it, like, mm-hmm. that it seemed like there was a that gap in between, you saying it and me hearing it got noticeably smaller.
1: Good. You can see how useful having a self is, right? If you didn't have one, you would just be hearing a buzzing. (laughs) So the sound of the air conditioner, just the sound, but attaching the fact that it's an air conditioner is the self. Right. All right. Thank you for coming. We're done for tonight. Um, So this is deepening your practice. Um, there's a bunch of flyers out there for different things you can do I'm always advocating ways for you to deepen your practice um, I guess retreat practice would be something that I would advocate I have a retreat coming up at the end of the year uh, up at La Casa de Maria it starts on December 26 um, take a look at that it's, the registration is open on um, the website it's up at La Casa de Maria it's 11 nights. Um, it's a meaningful life retreat, which means we'll be focusing on a relational mindfulness practice. It's a metta-vipassana retreat, so the first few days we'll be focused on metta, and then we'll go into vipassana. Um, I am an ardent advocate of having a meditation center to come to. Uh, the meditation path can often be difficult. It's very important useful to have people that are also practicing that you can be in relationship with, who will help support you in your practice. What better place to meet them than at a meditation center? If you didn't have one to come to, how would you meet them? Uh, If there were uh, no meditation center to come to, how would you meet them? Uh, I know that we've been here for a long time and that you may take for granted that we will often always be here, but I can assure you that the finances of a meditation center are always precarious and we count on your constant donations to keep the lights on and the doors open. We've crunched the numbers and $15 is a good amount for us to be able to do that. But it does need to be a practice of generosity that has meaning to you so that if you're really well resourced and $15 doesn't mean that much, please give more. $15 is a good amount, give that. If $15 is too much, give less. If if you're not resourced, then please do come and don't give anything. Uh, We will make the space for you to come to. But do consider each time you come uh, making that practice of generosity so that we can be here. Uh, We take uh, cards and cash out there. If you'd also be so kind as to put the chairs back and the cushions away, uh, we also appreciate that, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.